Good morning, everybody. So lovely to see you all. How are we all doing? Okay, brilliant. We've got a few brief notices, and then we're going to sort of start service and worship and learn. It's going to be wonderful. This Wednesday at 8 p.m., we've got a prayer meeting in the room. So if you, so if you want to join us, that would be marvellous. And if you want to give any reactions, that's, that's always fine as well. Next Sunday is going to be a Zoom service. <laughs> but it's only occasional. <laughs> this again. <laughs> but it's only occasional. It's just as the circumstances uh, mean, mean we need to do it. So next Sunday morning will be on Zoom, but it's the same phone link and the same computer link as before. So... If you need to remind you, it's in the Tuesday email if you get that. Otherwise, I can remind you what it is. The evening service is going to be a physical service in here. It's just a morning service. That's on Zoom. Uh, if you want to attend uh, Jason's, I've put the adjective luxurious open house on Saturday, the 25th of September. Can you let her know by a week today, please? That'll be okay, will it? A week today. Thank you. And uh, if you want to order, this is the last notice, a celebration of discipline book for us to use in October and November. If you see Barbara, if you want to order it via the Vine, of course, there's places you can get it in other places as well. But Barbara would love to take an order. And if you can do that as soon as possible, that would be lovely. Thank you very much. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we're not here alone. You are with us. And we're here to worship you and learn more about you. So with all the busyness of the week, all the ups and downs that we've had, Lord, we turn our attention to you. And Lord, we say with all our hearts, minds, strength and everything we've got, Lord, we say, Lord, we want to be in touch with you, listening, worshipping, leaning towards you. So Lord, as we lean towards you today, thank you that you're going to come in and do something new in our hearts, whatever it might be. Lord, we open our hearts to you this morning and say thank you for being not just a God of the Bible, but a God of now, of vitality and love and joy. So come and show us your love and joy today, we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing My Jesus, My Saviour to help us to start worshipping in song this morning. If you want to stand, that's brilliant. And remember, we can sing out loud and that's going to be lovely if you want to do that. Let us sing. Power. 
sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. My Jesus, my Savior. My Jesus, my Savior. Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty so often I would like to give a response so when I say for your continued love and mercy I'd like you to say we thank you God today so for your continued love and mercy we thank you God today thank you God that you are in control we can look to you for the big things in our lives as well as for the massive world issues that we face at this time We don't want to say our eyes are on you as a last resort, but as the genuine way we think and act every day. Help us not to be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present our requests to you. For your continued love and mercy, we thank you, God, today. We remember the families and friends of the 2,977 people 
who were killed 20 years and one day ago, as well as the many thousands who were injured. We trust you to mend broken hearts and to bind up both their hidden and obvious wounds. For your continued love and mercy, we thank you, God, today. We praise you, Lord, for those who have recently returned to school, for the teachers, support staff and pupils. We look forward to how you'll mature these young lives over the coming months. For your continued love and mercy, we thank you, God, today. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Will you help us to number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom? Please establish the works of your hands in this borough. As we have seen farmers gathering their crops in fields around the town, Lord, we look to you as the one in charge of the spiritual harvest. Help us to play the part you have given us and to see many people coming to know you as their saviour. For your continued love and mercy, we thank you, God, today. Father, we especially pray for believers in Myanmar, Ethiopia, Belarus, Venezuela and Guinea. In their troubled political and social systems, will you please bring practical relief and help. For con your continued love and mercy, we thank you, God, today. Thank you for the real abundance of Bible translations we have in English, as well as the other languages we speak here. Lord, we draw more people into Bible translation. Thank you for the 704 languages that already have a whole Bible. Will you bless the work being done in 2,731 languages in 167 countries that are actively pursuing active translation or preparatory work? For your continued love and mercy, we thank you, God, today. So let's just spend a few moments in our own heart, just praying to the Lord whatever's really getting you going today. Give us a yearning to be with you and to see our own lives transformed by your power and mercy. We thank you, God, for hearing our prayers. For your continued love and mercy, we thank you, God, today. It might seem like a very strange song to have next, but when Nick starts speaking, it will make total sense. So if you want to stand and sing, <laughs> well, hopefully it will make total sense, but you'll know this very well, but not usually in September. Oh, <laughs> 
I'm just going to pray for Nick, and then he's going to do something amazing and speak to us and challenge us and help us and all rolled into one. Well, God will through him anyway. So, Lord, we thank you for that your word is living and active. And so, Lord, as we consider and ponder and think about your word through Nick this morning, Lord, help us to have open hearts and then active feet to go and do what you want us to do. Amen. Amen. Right, we're on. Good morning. Wow, I can hear myself. Yes. It's really, um, I know I've got strange to be back talking to real people rather than a, a tiny dot. And oh, I found that so difficult. I, 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 some people don't seem to, but when you're speaking, you can be a bit animated. You can move when you, you have to be like this. I actually put a block in the back of my back to stop me moving around. Oh, it was anyway, I guess it will come back, but it is really nice to be here and to be able to, to talk to real people and see if they've fallen asleep. Um, or if they're actually with me. So, this little word um, is going to fall into three parts. I'm going to give you a testimony, a little story. Then I'm going to, some of you will feel, oh, this is interesting. Others of you are going to fall asleep and say, oh, what's he going on about? And then I'm going to come back to the theme we're at. So if we're in the middle bit, and it's not quite for you, that's the time to, I don't know, think of the hymn we've just done, or what did you say, Max? Fall asleep, yeah, or whatever, but there we are, but that, that's me. Um, now, those of you who know me, and some of you here know me very well, know that um, if I'm going to speak on something, I'm probably going to go into something, you know, nice and logical and Aristotelian and whatever else. Uh, we're going to be very disappointed because this morning we're doing something entirely different. And it's born from a thought that happened um, over the summer. And I've not even talked to Maggie about this, although she was there. Um, but it was something that happened really quite dramatic uh, during our seven weeks of looking after grandchildren, which we have just recovered from. We were down in uh, my daughter's house, and we have her three children, who are lively, in inverted commas, and then we have my son's three children, who are younger and even more lively. Um, and it just happens that the six of them get off incredibly well, and it is really good. You can bung all six of them away, and they have a great time. And then there's a, a large, pretty uncontrollable black Labrador uh, that is absolutely convinced it's one of the children. And the seven of them are off in the garden, and, and um, you know how children play these fantasy games where you can bet your bottom dollar that Sophia's in charge and everybody else has been done doing as they're told. And they, they, we, we were in Susie's house, and the kids were in the garden playing fantasy games, um, running around, whatever else. Now, Susie's house is one that we know. She's bought it recently. We, we know the previous owners. Um, and it's, it's, if you know Susie, she's a doctor and whatever else, and me, everything is safety-orientated. We're always very concerned about safety. And so the, the garden, you can be absolutely assured had been gone over a dozen times for is it safe now these days of course you've got trampolines you've got slides you've got swing you know you've got kids gardens are like today full of that in this garden there was a bird bath a stone bird bath that had been there for 50 years i kid you not i know it had been there for 50 years because we know the person that put it there and it's a large stone bird bath 
And the children were all playing together, and at some stage of this game, they were all sat around this birdbath. And little Elise is only 18 months, and Sophia is 11. And we, the parents and grandparents, were all sitting away somewhere, just doing what grandparents and parents do, just trying to ignore the children. (laughs) And then, all of a sudden, Maggie, remember this now, there was a sickening, heavy thud. And it felt like the the earth had shaken. And everybody looks at one another. And then a little voice, now my, Ethan, our little uh, nine-year-old, is always causing incidents to himself. And he he pretty regularly, you hear thud. Then you hear Ethan shout out, I'm all right. (laughs) You know, and there was a thud. And then Ethan shouted out, we're all right. And oh, thank you. And Susie was up there first. And what had happened is the top of this birdbath had fallen off. And all the six children and the dog were sitting around it. And it had fallen into about the only space available to which there were no children. And had that hit one of the children, um, I hate to think it would have, could have easily killed them. I mean, it was a heavy birdbath. I'd have been there 50 years and nobody thought that a stone bird bath that's been there 50 years is going to fall to pieces. Now, probably the kids were swinging on it, who knows? But anyway, it went thud. Um, the first question, why did it fall off? Don't know. Second question, how did it manage to miss all six children? Now, at that moment, of course, my mind thinks, wow, what, what happened there? And now, this is illogical. I have no evidence. I have no proof. But the thought that went through my mind was... That was angelic. And it started me thinking about angels. Well, at that moment, we were just sat there, and I just thought, that was angelic. And then I thought of that verse in the scripture. It says about God saying that the the children's um, angels are always before God in heaven. I thought there was, gosh, I don't know if the dog's got an angel, but... (laughs) There were at least six angels around that thing, and, and it got guided right to the right place. So I'm going to talk a little bit this morning about angels, which is why we sang Hark the Herald, I assume, angels thing. And also about, for some of us here, this conflict, which we often have sometimes, between logic and faith. Where, where do they cross? You know, where are the places that we hold to faith and we hold to logic? Because it does guide our society. And that's the bit some of you may get bored with. So that's the story. Now we're going to get to the boring bit. But uh, this is a historical journey. Some of you might like to follow me here. Uh, we, we talk a little bit in this church about the history of Israel. If you, 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 most of us here are familiar with this now. Um, and how the kingdom comes, uh, grows, divides into two. They go into captivity. And then they're 70 years in captivity. And then they come back. Uh, the end of the captivity is Nehemiah, and about the time of Nehemiah, which is at the end of the captivity, about 400 BC, uh, you've, you've got the re, if you like, uh, Israel coming back to, to, to their land. About that time, some very, very interesting things were happening in Europe. Right? And way over in Greece, there was a guy called Socrates. And he was the first Greek guy to start writing down uh, Greek thinking and Greek thought. And what Socrates was introduced the concept of morality. And he's, uh, so that's, if you want to sum up Socrates, Socrates' morality. Socrates had a very, very famous 
student. Anyone know who he was? Yes, come in question. He's Plato. Plato was Socrates' very famous student. And many, many, if you, look at, if you do any philosophy course, Western philosophy course, you will get told that Western philosophy starts with Plato. So Plato was the first one to start writing down um, philosophical thought. And what Plato brought in was, was the idea of, of order in society and structure. But most importantly, he brought in an idea of how do you know something is true? Uh, so don't, we won't go to it, but he brought this aside, and basically his answer is because you were told so. That, that's, that we, we'll sum it all up, but it's, it's, it's very interesting, but that's where he came from. Plato had a very famous student. Anyone know who that was? That was called Aristotle. Aristotle. Now, Aristotle disagreed with Plato and basically rewrote a lot of what Plato said. And Aristotle was the first real scientist. He spent most of his life living on an island, counting plants, and writing up lots of biology books. But he also was a very, very able philosopher, and um, wrote a lot of religious texts and a lot of philosophy. So good he was he, that the king at the time who was um, uh, Philip II of Macedonia, uh, pulls him off his island and says, you, you are going to educate my son. And the son said, oh, I don't want to be taught by him. But he was. And who was the famous son? Alexander, Alexander the Great. Yes. So, right. Alexander the Great was taught by Aristotle. Alexander the Great goes tearing off the rest of the, of the, of the, of the, of the known world, and what they took from that is at the start of it, they all spoke different languages. At the end of that period, the common language, which lasted for something like 1,500 years, in fact, was Greek. So that's where the Greek came from. And the New Testament is written in Greek. When Aristotle, sorry, no, when, um, no, we won't go there. We'll just say that Aristotle taught Alexander. And that was the language that the New Testament is written in, okay? A language developed from these thinkers. Now, the interesting thing is that um, by the time you get to Paul and the writing of the New Testament, you can see in there the influence of these thinkers. You don't go too much in this, but you, you can clearly see it there, particularly in John. Uh, and you, you can see that they, they, they are schooled and taught in this Greek thinking. And remember the Greek thinking that the New Testament was written under was the, the, those, those three people, Plato, Socrates, and, and particularly Aristotle. Because Aristotle was the first scientist. And where Aristotle disagreed with um, Plato, it was Aristotle said his truth is what you can see and count. So the first real scientific evidence. Truth is what you see and count, whereas Plato said truth is what you're told. So the New Testament was written under that thinking. Now you have a really strange thing happens. Look at the history of the church. You go through, you have Constantine coming along. The Roman Empire gets turned into being Christian, still under Aristotelian thought. Then what happens, because of historical reasons... Remember, this is way back when. It, wasn't, it didn't have lots of writings and stuff. The writings of Aristotle got lost. And the church then knew about Aristotle, 
but they had lost all his writing. So for something like, oh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the early church that becomes the church we know, and a lot of Christian teaching that we know, develops under thinking that is not guided by Aristotle, i.e. what you see counts. And so the church goes on. And you have this, this long period. Now what happened, we won't, it was very, very, very peculiar interesting, was that the Arabs wrote down all, everything that Aristotle said. The Arabs did, right? And round about the time of uh, 1000 AD, some people started to discover this, and they started to retranslate Aristotle back into Latin. And so you have the text of Aristotle getting into Latin. And at the time of 1225 AD, a guy was born who was called Thomas. Anybody know his full name? We know him as St. Thomas Aquinas. And St. Thomas Aquinas was the guy who really grabbed the text of Aristotle and challenged the church with it. And it, it was um, groundbreaking. I mean, he basically said to the whole church, you've got it all wrong. Um, you have to think in a different way. Truth is what you see, count, and believe, not what you were told. And so, Arist so, so Thomas Aquinas really lays down the foundation for the birth of thinking, the birth of science. And within a couple of hundred years, you've got a Galileo, you've got um, Copernicus, you've got the birth of science, and you can take it all back to Thomas Aquinas. Of course, you've also got, at the same time, who was born 10 years after Copernicus? Luther. So you've got the start of the Reformation. People start reading the scripture and saying, hang on, what does it say? Rather than what I'm told it says. So Thomas Aquinas is the birth of science. So why am I telling you all this? Because if you want to look up a text that talks about angels, you go to Thomas Aquinas. And I find that fascinatingly interesting that this guy who birthed science wrote pages of reams on what angels were. And he, he made this statement. This is the statement that Thomas Aquinas, it didn't make it as, but he, you can boil it down to this. He sort of said that when your faith does not agree with your science, well, God gave science and God gave faith. There's something wrong with one or both of them. Bring them together. And that's a lesson that we should still be learning today. That faith and science are both given by God. And what Thomas Aquinas said about angels is you can only discern angels by faith. He said you can't find any evidence for that. It's in the scripture, says Thomas Aquinas. They're there in the scripture, says Thomas. And he, he writes pages on what they could be, where they come from, where they're going to, and what they do. And da, 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 da. But the, the most important thing is he said, some things are discerned by faith. Not everything can be worked out logically. And that was a big, big problem for um, scientists until really the, the birth of our modern scientific theories of, of quantum mechanics, where we now realize that no, you can't know everything. And quantum mechanics has almost pushed us back to accepting that some things are born of faith. I'm not going to go there now because that gets complicated. But many things are born of faith. And science today is really a faith. 
It's a different form of faith, but it's a faith. There's lots of stuff in science you have to accept because you're told it, not because you can, you can find um, any evidence for it. So we're back in that time, but this is, this is the, the tension that Thomas Aquinas gave us and asked us to look at. So, angels, I can't prove they, they were there. I can't prove what happened. I can't, it's my faith. I happen to believe I have an inner witness that tells me my grandchildren were, were kept safe because of an angelic action. Now you can tell me you have no evidence. Yeah, I have no evidence. But it, it resonates with me. And there's nothing unscientific that does not conflict with science. And I just hold the two together. And, and so, so that's how Thomas Aquinas um, put it out. Now, if you want to go and read Thomas, it, it's really fascinating because he goes into... Uh, anyway, let's just, let's just read some verses. Matthew 18, verse 10. Take heed that you despise not any of these little ones. This is children. I, for I say unto you, it, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. So the New Testament tells us there are angels looking after children. Illogical. Yeah. Can you prove it? Nope. Does that matter? There's the issue. The issue is your faith. How does that resonate with you? But that's what it says. And I love this one. This is Psalm 91. Um, Psalm 91 is the one that one of the verses that Jesus quotes in his temptation. Um, Psalm 91 verse 11 says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. So the Bible says God commands his angels to guard you in all your ways. So there's angels looking after you, according to the scripture. This is entirely illogical. But it's faith. This is where, if you have an experience of God, you, you come to this place and say, well, why, why shouldn't that be? Interesting thing is, if you go a few verses above this in Psalm 91, um, you will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. And this is the verse that's often misquoted. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Now, what does that mean? It will not come near you. Now, so many people interpret that to mean that you won't fall, you will be safe. It doesn't say that. It says it will not come near you. And if you go and look at lots of different translations, they'll unpack that for you. Basically, to make it simple, it means randomness, luck, chance will not come near you. Why? Because God has you in his hand. There will come a time for all of us when we have difficulties in life. No surprise you are not going to live here forever. Okay? If I tell you you are going to die, I'm not as a doctor telling you you have a short life expectancy and next week you're going to die. I'm just going to tell you a fact. You're all going to die. 
Every one of us here is going, and you're all going to die of something. So we're all going to get a disease, and we're all going to die of it, or we're going to fall off, a stone's going to fall on our head, or something. But we're all going to die. So this verse does not mean that bad things won't happen to you. What it does mean is that they will not happen in a random way. Because you are in God's hand. And he commands his angels to look after you. And if you think back of the things I've just said, there are some really strange things in there. Alexander the Great was a bit of a violent character. Let's just leave it like that. Why did God use such a violent character to bring the Greek language to the New Testament? Why didn't he send out loads of poets? And loads of poets cover the whole of the Middle East, and we all think Greek is beautiful, and hence the New Testament's written. It didn't happen like that. Why did the Arabs write down Aristotle? Because it was the birth of Islam, the spread of Islam. The spread of Islam spread Aristotle, which is completely contrary to their teaching, but there we are. So strange things happen. God is in charge. What the, the message I want to bring across this morning is that nothing is random that's happening to you. His hand is over you to the extent that he commands his angels to look after you. Now that sort of confused me a bit as well. Why does God command it? Why has he got angels? He could just have us. He could, God can do things. He doesn't have to command an angel to look after me. Why doesn't he look after me? Why an angel? What well, the answer is, I don't know. He's God. He did it this way. You can turn that question around the other way, of course, and say, why us? Why have us? Why not just have angels? They seem to be a lot more obedient than we do. Well, maybe not, but anyway, why not? Why us? Why us and angels? I don't know. This is where you come to faith and logic, and sometimes you have to hold two together. As as, um, Thomas Aquinas said, they shouldn't conflict, but you can hold them together. God has commanded his angels to watch over you. That means, almost certainly, angels have watched over you. How many times do we say, why did God let this happen? Or why did God let that happen? Rather than say, how many times has God prevented things from happening? like stones falling on my grandchildren. I don't know. But I want, to, to, I want to bring to you this morning the thought, to leave here this morning with the thought, that nothing random is happening to you because he has commanded his angels to watch over you. Don't ask me to explain how. If you want to know how, read Thomas. He was very, very good, but he ends up by saying, I don't know either, but he's just written a lot of all the various ways. Very erudite, very clever. Get it all off Google. It's good stuff to read. But at the end of the day, we don't know. What else do angels do? Acts 5.19. But during the night, the angel opened the the prison door and he brought them out. So angels can open doors. Angels can appear physically. And then we get um, uh, Paul on, on, on 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 the ship. Um, it, it, towards the end of his ministry, going to Rome. And if you remember, there's this, the ship's about to sink. And Paul says, oh, in the night, there stood before me an angel 
of the Lord who told me. So this angel managed to go across the water, get in the boat, appear before Paul, and then leave the boat and go off again. So they seem to be pretty good at getting around. Um, Acts 12. On an appointed day, King Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to the people listening. And the people were shouting, this is the voice of a God, not a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. Well, that angel clearly wasn't seen, but it was able to strike him down. So you can go through the scriptures and find all this stuff about angels if you like, and I tell you, there is no logic to it. There's no way you can say angels do X, Y. It is just in the scripture, and it is given to you as truth, and it's for you to accept it or not accept it. But the message is, God is not letting anything random happen to you. Your life is in his hand. Now, you can be just disobedient. As far as we understand the scripture, even angels can be disobedient because we won't go there, but that can happen. But these angels, do you have an angel looking after you? Somehow, get your head around that. Because it's not common in Protestant teaching to to teach it. It's more more so in Catholic teaching. But maybe there are some things we, we forget. Let's finish with Hebrews uh, chapter 1, 13 to 14. To which of the angels did he ever say, sit at my right hand and I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet, comparing them to Jesus? But it does say this about angels. Are not angels all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So God sent angels out to protect and serve you, to bring glory to God. Now, I can't make sense of this. There's, there's, there's no physics, no theology. It's just there. And I, I'm bound to ask you the question, do you ever think an angel has ministered to you? Because according to the scripture, it almost certainly has. Do you know where and when? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. There are certain things in my life where I'm pretty convinced was angelic. Certain things happen in various places, but there we are. But the point I want to finish with, and I'll repeat it again. Nothing random is happening to you. You're in God's hands. Now, in that, God is able to balance the free will of man and the free will of angels. How does he do that? <laughs> Admit it, we don't know. <laughs> But can we live in that security that God has his hand upon us? Are they all not ministering angel or spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? It's interesting when you look at all this stuff about aliens and stuff, you know. Are we alone? No, we're not. I don't know if they came in spacecraft, but they're here. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for the wonder of your creation, uh, that it is so much more than we think, that your kingdom, as we know on earth, is one thing, but your heavenly kingdom is another. And Lord, as we try and consider what all this means and to, to balance our faith in the light of your revelation, 
Give us that confidence to know that a thousand may fall at our right hand, but that randomness, that luck, that uh, whatever we call it, will not come near us because we are protected by you and we are able to receive from you that which your hand sends to us, that which is a discipline and that which is a blessing. You send it to us. We all have a time on this earth that will come to an end. But Lord, we are in your hands in that process. And we thank you, Lord, for this provision of sending angels to watch over us. And I don't understand how or why, but it's clearly there in your scripture and we thank you for it. Amen. Going back a few years, in the late 80s and early 90s, I read all of Frank Peretti's books. Do you remember? Pierce in the darkness, this present darkness. My eyes couldn't get wider now. Again, just like Nick's saying, it's like, hmm, we don't know. But it just, ooh, maybe. And that got me talking with my mum, because me and my mum and my dad have a good few chats over the years about God and all this sort of stuff. And she said it in 1964, uh, she was driving, and really late, so she was busy. She was driving from the Neaton Way back to Tamworth, where she lived at the time. And so the obvious thing was to go down the, dual, the bypass of Addison, because it had just been opened a few months earlier. So she'd have gone like 70 miles an hour, or maybe less than that, because it was an old car, reliant or something. So maybe 60 miles an hour. But instead of going down the bypass... She went through Atherston, and like 30 seconds after the island to go to the bypass of going into Atherston, she had a puncture. And so she thought, maybe God pushed me, because it wasn't her intention to go through Atherston. Maybe if she'd have been going 60 miles an hour or so then in this three-wheeled reliant, it had been very dangerous, and it sort of might have got hurt. So maybe an angel, she suggested, pushed her into, angel, into Atherston, instead of going along the bypass and having an accident there. If there was time, we could all go around and say, oh, maybe this happened, maybe that. And we don't need to do that now, but have a think about it and say, Lord, what have you done in my life that we can't explain, but you were the root of it, you were the bottom of it? We're going to think about a few things that Nick's been talking about as we uh, go through the next few minutes. And we're going to sing, uh, There is Strength Within the Sorrow help us with that. Just remembering that God is for us. There is strength within Beyond our understanding, 
You're teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper. You've not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the blood. Grateful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. You are wisdom unimagined.
say, Lord, thank you for your providence in my life. Thank you for looking after me. Thank you, Lord, for my mum in 1964, thinking that you'd pushed her or some angels had pushed her to go through Addiston and saved a serious accident. Lord, I don't know, but Lord, we trust you because you know all things. And I'm sorry for when I put you in a box when you don't belong in any box. Amen. You are 
we're just going to sort of listen to the music. And as you do that, Nick came up with two questions for us to think about. Lord, why did you allow this? And then, Lord, why didn't you allow this? So maybe as you've got big questions, why did something happen in my life which was terrible and awful? Maybe that's a time now, just as we listen to the tune, just say, Lord, I'll give it to you again. I've spoken to you about it lots of times. It's still a hot potato. It's still difficult in my life. But I want to be real with you, Lord. But also maybe think of some of the times and give thanks to God if that's the right thing to do. Lord, you didn't allow me that to happen. And I'm so thankful. someone's got a scripture that's really sort of strong in their minds at the moment maybe someone might want to read that out or maybe there's a picture you've sort of felt that God's been impressing you but it's good to sit in silence as well if you want to got my Bible on me. It's the one that's forgetting what is past. Just thinking about people, thinking about stuff that's past. And when Paul says forgetting what is past, so being released from it, which has been, I can't remember the rest of the verse. <laughs> so it might not be Paul, is it Hebrews? It's forgetting what is past and pressing on towards yeah. Yeah. the goal. Yeah. Is that Hebrews? Yeah, I think so. Do you want to pray into it then? Yes. God, thank you for that little phrase. And obviously, you read all around it and get the full meaning. But forgetting what is past, God, you don't count what's past. You don't count those sins. 
they've gone, they've been paid for. Help us not to be tied up with the past, but to move forward with you in freedom. Amen. So wherever we are with our walk with God, we can say, Lord, I trust you for the future. I thank you for what you've done in my life for the past. And I know you're alive, Lord. So we're going to sing a prayer. Into your hands I commit again. Into your hands I commit again all I am for you, Lord. You hold my world in the palm of your hands, and I am yours forever. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I belong to you. You're the reason that I live, the reason that I sing with all I am. You can stand if you want to, remember. with you wherever you are through tears and joy I'll trust in you and I will live in all of your ways and your promises Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I belong to you. You're the reason that I live, the reason that I sing. Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I belong.
Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I belong to you. You're the reason that I live. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I belong to you. You're the reason that I live, the reason that I sing with all I of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. So Lord, we want to be obedient to you, to go out and, and spread your gospel, your good news about salvation from the doom what we had before to the joy and the change that you've brought in our lives. Lord, help us to be ready for how you'll protect us and provide for us. And just to know that there's so much more going on in the world that we know about. Lord, help us to accept what you're doing and to be ready in anticipation of greater and bigger things than we've seen before. Lord, thank you for speaking to us this morning. Thank you that we could come round and worship you and just feel great for being in your presence. We give you our week ahead, all our questions, whether they're good questions or harder questions, we give them to you and say, help us, Lord, in our times of need and in our times of joy as well, to keep on looking to you and putting you first in action and in deeds and in, in uh, words and thoughts, Lord. We give it to you all. Amen. Amen.